This podcast is dedicated to the Dakota. We honor those who care for the land on which our building and its community is built. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Students Co-op Memory Journal. It is November 11th, 2011, and this is episode one. Before then, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Morrill Land Grab Act of 1862, breaking already fraudulent and unfair treaties and betraying the indigenous inhabitants of the area further with a thankfully unsuccessful but very much deliberate attempt at total genocide of the Dakota. Before Minnesota was declared a state, the Minnesota Territorial Legislature drafted a charter for its territorial university near what would the next year come to be known as the Settlement of Minneapolis. As Europeans spread conflict across this continent of Great Turtle Island, so the universities grew off the spoils of war and genocide. The U of M invited chapter houses for a number of Greek-style fraternities and sororities who called themselves secret societies, and among them was a house for the 1833-established Psi Upsilon of Union College, New York. The Moo Chapter House was established in 1891 at 1721 University Avenue Southeast in Minneapolis, where... President-to-be and Yale man William Howard Taft gave a speech, possibly at the dedication. Forty-eight years later, it seems there was a snag in this march of supposed progress, and the fraternity sold the building and moved down the street. A Miss Wish camper, whose story we might hope to explore in another episode, encouraged cooperative organization an egalitarian movement to make their move. They did, and the legal entity, the Students' Cooperative Incorporated, became the owners of the building January 1st, 1940. Presently, the Students' Co-op faces an uncertain future, as the reality of imperial colonialism, its myths of supremacy, and rising calls for overdue justice, are shaking foundations to their cores. Perhaps only those who ground themselves in truth will be left standing. What is the truth of the Students' Cooperative Incorporated? That's what this podcast is hoping to find out from people who live there. It is not just an affordable co-ed living situation, not just the first place people struck out from their parents' house to live on their own, not just a shelter, not just a NASCO cooperative, not just a philosophical detachment from the mainstream, not just an activist organization, not just a radical planning space, and not just a three-story building sandwiched between fraternities on historic frat row. It may be or have been those things, but it is also a kind of home, or at least a place where home happens for a while, for dozens of people who share its walls at a time. On a personal note, as someone with a very split family, it was also the first place I felt something even close to the word home. But don't worry, I'm going to get out of the way here and give the mic to other co-opers. Ten years ago, on November 11th, 2011, my then-roommate at the co-op, Charlie Lennon, recorded an interview with R.T. Ravenholt, a former resident who was born in the 1920s and moved into the co-op in its first decade of existence. What follows is a condensed form of that interview. I couldn't find my old ledger of all the (laughs) the bills I paid during those years, but now I got it. Oh, good. Good. But That's... anyway, let's just start, and you can ask questions. I'll see if I can answer them. Okay. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a whole bunch of them, so we'll, we'll see how many we can get to. I guess the the first question is if you know anything about how the, the co-op actually started. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, um, let me just see here. Like, we don't even know, like, who are the people that uh, started it, or? I have it written down that when I moved to the University of Minnesota in September 1944, uh, my friend, uh, 
Is it was it a credit union possibly? I guess my friend found. A no, no, it, it was a Midland was a it started as a dairy cooperative. Yeah. In the upper Midwest, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. And uh, oh yeah, no, I don't. The name now is Archer Daniels Midland. Ah, okay. The Archer Daniels is probably the biggest. Uh, agricultural cooperative in the country. Oh wow! Huh? They just like bought. Do you know they just like bought the house and and started? Yeah, they, uh, uh, yeah I've got that somewhere here. That they, you know, it was a fraternity house. Yeah. I think it started in about 1910. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, then I had, I think it was with the advent of the war there in 1940, things changed. Hmm. And that uh, that fraternity gave up uh, its house anyway. Yeah. And Midland Walker must have purchased it from them at that time. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I was reading about the fraternity during that time. And they had moved to a different house. They had found a different house, so they must have just been selling the co-op. Yeah. Well, indeed, you might research a bit uh, Archer Daniels Midland. Thank you. Uh, just to get additional information on the evolution of that organization. Okay. This, uh, this shirt-tailed relative of mine, Harold Strandstone, was a CPA with Midland Co-op. Yeah. And he was, he was their key representative dealing with the students' co-op. Oh, okay. In other words, he, was, he 
At the co-op or through Midland, or? Pardon? Oh, where were you the business midterm? At the co-op? In September of 1944. Yeah, okay. And I lived there paying board and room for that next year. But then in December of 1945, uh, Herman Stransko invited me to take over as the as a business manager, and he helped train me up in terms of oh, cool. uh, keeping records and all that, and making out profit and loss statements every month, year, and all that. Oh, cool. Uh, Yeah, we have, we have tons of them. <laughs> has the, these are big ledger pages, and I have about a half an inch of them, I mean in thickness. Yeah. Did you stay in touch with a lot of the people you met here, including that the guy from Midland? Did what? That uh, Herbert Stransko from Midland. I say he was a short-tailed relative, and and he married a cousin of mine, and he ended up living up in West Denmark, Wisconsin, which is where I was from. Yeah. Where I am from. <laughs> Did you keep in touch with anyone else at the co-op?
That's great. Um, so, how was the how did the house work? How many managers did you guys have? Did you guys have an application process? Um, no, we didn't. Did you do really chores? Have an application process. Uh, the people would come and want to live there, and uh, we uh, we had a. I'm not quite sure what his title is. Maybe he was president. Uh, Wilbur Pennington. Wilbur Bennington. Uh, yeah, Wilbur Bennington was uh, a very capable, uh, hardworking fellow, and he was sort of uh, he, he. I don't know. We, we called him president, but he he was in that key role, and we must have had a a, uh, a little board of some kind. Okay. wasn't co-ed then.
Yeah. Did you guys have chores as well? Oh, there were quite a few chores, and and uh, many of the uh, residents participated in various chores, and they got credits, you know, so they could reduce their payment. But, of course, what happened there in 46 and on was the influx of veterans with the GI Bill. Yeah. And they had enough income from the GI Bill that they didn't really have to work. Uh, but some of them did, nevertheless. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they handled... We had quite a few different jobs that needed to be done. And that my brother Otto, he, he didn't have a scholarship. He was working his way in. So he managed to receive quite a few credits for a lot of jobs that he did. Oh, cool. And but what were the chores like? Like dishes or something? Or cooking? Or Yeah, yeah dishes, uh, certainly. And, and uh, cleaning, I suppose, bathrooms. And uh, it's kind of hazy when my memory just... Yeah. All the jobs. But we had quite a list of jobs that they uh, did. That seemed to work pretty good. Yeah, it still does. <laughs> Did you guys have meetings then with the house, or did just the board meet? Yeah, we, we would, we would, I guess, have a monthly, uh, some kind of a business meeting once a month, and uh, if there was anything that needed decision, of course, there would be a meeting. And then how were your relations with the frats, with the frat houses? Was the was the cooperative involved with the university at all? Did yes, the, the university had a uh, I forget the exact name of it, but they had someone that uh, an organization with some people there that really sort of kept track of all the student organizations, the fraternities, and and also several cooperatives. I think there was a, probably a woman's cooperative. Back and joined the 
fraternities, you know, they, indeed, drinking was something they really wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. It got published in the Minneapolis Star as well. Cool. And let's see. Uh, I just, I've got this old ledger and the copies of the pages in my, my lap just now. Just looking at it to see. But you, you would have those and you could look back to the, the 40s and you'd see my... Uh, Oh, yeah, I see your handwriting in there. Yeah, starting December 1945. Cool. What was what were the people like in the house? Was there a lot of art or music or were a lot of people oh, studying? Yeah. Or? Uh, speaking of that, we were fortunate. We had a young man, Stan Kaplan, who was a very expert pianist and oh. liked to sit and play. a lot of penis here now too and it's it's just wonderful when there's music coming from downstairs <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. So, on the third floor were all the cots, right? And then, what happened? Yeah, there was a big room on the top floor. And we had double-deck uh, beds, you know, cots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's where we slept, yeah. So. <laughs> I had a big leather chair in my study room. I had a roommate. study room was that in the basement or
So the rooms were on the second floor? Yeah. Okay. And then was the was the back extension there? The back part of the house that's made of wood and white? Well, there was... I, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know to what extent it may have changed somewhat in the back, but there was, you know, yeah, there was quarters there where the, the house mother used to live. Uh, okay. Sort of substantial apartment there. Okay. I imagine that they won't be there yet. Yeah, that's what that's what we call the extension. Okay. Um, and then how is so like throughout the years the house has been kind of countercultural, like on the like in the sixties there was a lot of like hippies in here and stuff. Was was it like that at the time or there or was it just, you know, everyday folks or was there I- ideologies or ideas that a lot of people had that lived in the co op? No, I don't think it wasn't very political, no. Okay. I suspect that became was something that came along later. Yeah. Most of us were were too serious. We were very serious about uh, our education, and uh, we enjoyed the fellowship of the of the co-op, and uh, but we were not into much politics. That the house mother you mentioned, so she would she would do cooking. Then did you guys have maids or anything, or gardeners or anything else hired out like the frat frats used to, or was that all done by chores? So we just had the the house mother or cook. Okay. Uh, then we we employed. Uh, uh, I mean, there might be a dozen or so of the residents who were busy working at various tasks around there, and thus uh, getting credits toward the cost of their room and board. Yeah. Great. Is there any, I want to ask you too, is there any hidden secrets in the house, like hidden compartments or a time capsule or hidden rooms? No, not many. I mean, they're on the, on the basement floor, of course, we had the kitchen and we had the... Mm-hmm. Time we were rec- 
receiving the, our milk in 10-gallon cans. Huh. And then we would just pour the milk into pitchers, you know, to put on the table. Yeah. Uh, and that worked, that worked fine. We just used a lot of milk. And we put it in. But then at a certain time, and it was in the 46 or so, the health department decided that that was unsafe and we had to get a, uh, a milk dispenser where the milk was refrigerated. And we didn't like that so much because it, it added substantial to the cost. Oh, yeah. As long as we were just getting the milk supplied in 10-gallon cans and, and pouring it into pitchers and serving it, you know, that, that there was never any Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep the milk colder and something. <laughs> of course, that costs money. Yeah. Um, you know, we used to have, like, homecoming, we had a sort of an open house, and, and a lot of the, the fellows, of course, had their girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other great memories of the house or another co-op you lived with? <laughs> About you or Fred? Well, I mean, one thing I remember from the, the second floor or something there in uh, the co-op, there was a window to the, I don't remember which way, the uh, street in front of the co-op runs north and south, the, Yeah, it's east, east and west. It looks... Yeah. Anyway, there's a window on the west there, looking to the building next door. And it happened that it, it gave a, a vision of the bathroom in the, the next door where the, <laughs> the maid would use. And sometimes the boys would gather at that window <laughs> to uh, have a good look at the internet activities going on. <laughs> in the adjacent house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a cook, B was uh, her name she went by. B? Yeah, D E A. Oh D. D. She was she was a good cook. She worked hard. But her health was not ideal. Uh. And she had some kidney trouble. I can remember coming in. <laughs> One day, and she was showing me a kidney stone she had passed. <laughs> oh. Must have sparked your interest in medicine, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was, well, of course it was somewhat, I suppose. But, uh, once I decided, once I got a clear vision where I wanted to go, which was to get my MD, uh, I was Did the co-op influence that at all, your decision to go into medicine or epidemiology? No, I 
made that decision when I, I registered for the university. So initially, I was uncertain whether I would go into engineering or medicine. Mm. But I, one of my sisters was in nurses training at Fairview then. And that helped me make up my mind to go into medicine. Cool. And you've done so much in medicine, that's really exciting. Oh, yes, I, I just published this from the book on uh, cancer and smoking and such. I'll send you several copies of that that the people might enjoy. Oh, great, thank you. I'm uh, publishing a trilogy of my adventures in epidemiology. Oh, cool. The, the first one deals with infectious diseases, the second deals with uh, cancer and cardiovascular disease. And the third deals with world population and world population crisis and taking contraceptives to the world's poor. That, that book, uh, I should have it ready by, certainly by February or March. Oh, great. But the one, the one with the, in fact, volume one, Infectious Diseases, I have on my computer. I just have to finish that up. Volume two, on Malignant Cell Evolution. I did just publish it. I'll send you some of those. Oh, great. Thank you. So what, what's the trilogy called? Adventures in Epidemiology. Oh, okay. Yep. The reason you have cancer and the reason you get old is that, you know, many of your tissues are built of zillions of cells. Mm -hmm. And to maintain their function, they have to reproduce. Yeah. So throughout your life, they... You know, the individual cells are wasting and being reproduced. And that, of course, means that they are evolving just as species of animal and plant evolve. So your various tissue cells, your various tissues are evolving and eventually that leads to malignancies, your various cancers and to cardiovascular disease, so forth. So that has always been in my mind. I devote a lot of study to it. Cool. I'm excited to read them. Thank you. And oh, I, I published this book, West Over the Seas to the Orient, which is a biography of my brother, Albert, oh. who went on to the Orient. China and so forth became a war correspondent and all that. But that that gives a pretty considerable history of our family. So I'll send you that too. Oh, great. I, Thank you. When I publish the others, I'll send those. Oh, that'll be great. The house will love that. And uh, let's see, other things. 46. I got a job with the defense industry downtown by where Honeywell is. And, uh, you know, let's see, the, when I started that job in 45, I was in 45 primarily. And there I was working, I got my, I did my classes forenoons and early afternoon. And then I had this job in the defense plant down there from 4.30 to 8.30.
So I would do that. And so it'd be 10 o'clock before I was able to study. Yeah. And, there, and I was on that uh, regimen pretty much the whole year there. Wow. And which kept, kept me, kept my nose to the grindstone pretty much. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, was that yeah, was that streetcar on university? Seventeen twenty one University Avenue. You know, it's just an ideal location. Yeah. You have ready access to the entire campus but also to the athletics along there. Yeah. Williams on the Williams Auditorium, Cook Hall and all that. Of course it's many things have changed somewhat. Not much. Uh, Fantastic. Where did you grow up? I grew up in St. Paul. So, in the McAllister Groveland area. It's pretty close. Up by Summit Avenue? Yeah, near there. Yep. Yeah. Well, I used to, in my, when I was in medical school, I had an externship over at Mounds Park Hospital. Oh, okay. You know, on the east side of downtown St. Paul. Yep. Do you have any questions about the co-op now? I mean, uh, do you issue any reports uh, on the co-op? Well, yeah, we're going to start. Um, it hasn't been done for a while, but we're going to send out a newsletter this year. So if you what about what, a, what about your financial? How do you handle the finances? Oh, finances, we do that internally. So we have a like one of the co-opers is a treasurer, and another one is a financial manager. So the treasurer handles internal funds and does rent and builds the budget and decides how much money we're allotting to what. And then the financial manager does things like loans and, and dealing with banks and paying the bills and everything. Um, well, I, I'd like to get a, You have my address, don't you? I don't think I do. I have your card, but I don't... Is your address on? Well, let me just... My, my address and... Uh, yeah, if you put me in the mailing list for any sort of reports, like monthly report or annual report, I'd be interested. Okay, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, it, will, it should be coming out in uh, this winter, so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, well, if you have additional questions, you know, feel free to call. Let's keep in touch somewhat. Okay, great. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I... Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Your major is what? I'm biology, so. Biology? Yep. I mean, are you thinking of 
pre-med or? Yep. Yep, I'm gonna. Oh, you are. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are. You are thinking of a pre-med school. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking at med schools right now. So. Well, I've got lots for you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I certainly have had a. I can't imagine having a more interesting professional life than I have had. I mean, I have been extraordinarily fortunate in the range of activities and localities and everything. Wow. Being in epidemi- epidemiology and working in many fields around the world and so forth. So, okay. Great to chat with you, Charles. All right, you too. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. For citation and show notes, please visit the home site at magazine.com forward slash co-op dash pod.